This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. A lot of us, when we were forced into our homes um, during the pandemic, well, some, some people returned to the world a lot quicker and a lot easier than others. And for my part, it has been um, a Herculean effort to be as social as I once was. Uh, I, I used to go to the opening of an envelope. Uh, that's how social I was. And uh, I remember when I was in my 20s, I said, so, I, was, I like to go out so much in my 20s. And by the way, I lived, I lived really close to Yorkville. And so I could go out and enjoy uh, the, the life uh, that was um, sort of the nightlife of Yorkville. I used to say ridiculously silly things like Tuesday is the new Friday. And I lived by that credo. It was, it was nonsense. It was nonsense. And frankly, also, I have no idea what I did with my time. I have no idea how I spent 24 hours when it was just me, when I didn't have three kids, when I, I didn't have uh, the, 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 the joy of spending time with uh, my wife. Uh, I, I, I don't know how I, I don't know what I did to fill my time. Uh, it's, a, it's a very selfish time in one's life, as you should be. But anyway, um, so the pandemic happens. We all go in inside and then some people come out and I didn't. And so I've been really uh, working hard to um, reconnect with the people that matter most to me. And, and sometimes it's just it's a matter of showing up. That's what I was told once when I, when I wasn't going out. My friend said, look, 90% of it is just showing up. And that takes care of literally 90% of friendship, at least as it relates to men. I have friends with whom I have been talking. I have a, a text chain for three years. And if you go through the texts, at no point do we ask each other how we're doing and what's going on in each other's lives. We either just share memes or opinions on particular subjects. And I consider these people my best friends. Uh, but last week was a, a fairly social week for me. And it was a social week uh, reconnecting with people from my past and specifically sort of people I met through, um, through my father and his work. And I went to Ottawa, which is a very exciting city in December. You should all, all, all enjoy the nightlife there. You could throw a stone down the street. And a, you, won't hit, you won't hit anyone. Uh, it's a ghost town, especially downtown um, after 6 p.m. Uh, but uh, I went there to honor the life of a former senator, Hugh Siegel, who passed away on August 9th, 2023. And he was, for those of you who might remember, he was the chief of staff to former Premier Bill Davis. And eventually the chief of staff to my father. He, he was a thinker. He was a political strategist. He was an author, a commentator, an academic, eventually a senator. And this was a man who – he was a big thinker. He was a big thinker and he contributed uh, to, uh, to the, the Canadian political debate in so many different ways, so many different ways. He wasn't teaching students. He was writing papers or he was uh, advocating for a particular point of view in the Senate or in my dad's office, uh, just to name a few, uh, a, a few things that he did. And, he, and, and you knew where he stood. He was a red Tory, which you may like, you may not. That's up to you. But that's where he stood. And he did not mince words. He, 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 he decried American fast food conservatism. Uh, he, uh, he, he, he stood up to the War Measures Act brought in by Trudeau Sr. on the grounds of civil liberties. Uh, and he, uh, he, he really, he, as I said, he contributed greatly to Canadian political debate. 
And it was very sad to see him go, but I was very glad to reconnect with so many people that I met with him as a connector. And then the next night I drove back to, uh, to Toronto and I went to a dinner for the Churchill society, which honors defenders of democracy. And again, my father, a few years ago was the recipient of that award last year, Erwin Kotler, um, got the award. And this year, Jean Chrétien received the award. Uh, it's a bipartisan event. You don't have to be a liberal or a conservative. You just have to like democracy, I guess. Uh, Adrian Batra from the uh, from Post Media was there. She's, a, as a matter of fact, she I believe sits on the board. So I spent some time with her. Spent some time with some liberals. Spent some time with some uh, international uh, guests who were there, and listened uh, with great intent to the former prime minister's Q and A. Now, you know, based on my last name, you can assume that. Jean Chrétien wasn't my favorite prime minister, uh, but I, I respect anybody who puts themselves up for public office. Seriously, if you are somebody who, who is willing to sacrifice your personal life to put yourself into a position to, to try to change things for the better, however you see that thing, uh, I have a lot of respect for you. I don't care if you're NDP. I don't care if you're green. I don't care. Um, you have my respect. You, uh, you, we have a starting position where I will respect you. Now, do some things to upset me, <laughs> and you might lose that respect. But so, so I stood, listened, listened intently, and he, I, he, he, I applauded when everybody applauded. Um, I didn't like what he said at the end, which I've, I spoke about on Greg's show last week, uh, where I said, where he said, you know, um, l- life is good in Canada, um, so everybody should just relax and take it easy. That's that was the gist of his final send off to the to the crowd. And I thought to myself, oh, boy, if Justin Trudeau hopes to win the next election, he better ignore that piece of advice because there is a real disconnect between that perception and the reality of people living on the ground. But overall, it was a lovely night. And 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 the reason I bring these these two men up is not necessarily because they happened in successive nights. You know, one was the celebration of life of Hugh Siegel. One was a look back at the career of 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 one of our prime ministers. They don't on their face have a lot in common. But I do believe that they share one trait that is sorely lacking in Ottawa today. And, and that's the, the, the trait of moral clarity. These are two men who, uh, you know, one through academics and rigorous thought and the other through personality and um, force of will came to believe uh, whatever they believed and see the world however they saw the world, and then in their own very distinct ways, fought to make those things happen and defended their visions against those who would attack them. So this is not an endorsement of anyone's politics or anyone's worldview, but I believe that in Ottawa right now, there is a lack of moral leadership on some pretty important files. And on the and on the files that aren't necessarily that important, that's where you get the that's where you get the moral clarity, which is that's it's, it's ass backwards. And so um, I, I am thirsty for it. I am hungry for it. I would take Jean Chrétien's moral clarity in a heartbeat today over some of the wishy washy talking out of both sides of our mouths, trying to make everybody happy and instead making nobody happy, speaking in gobbledygook and buzzword, 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 um, and not really saying or doing anything that improves whatever crisis that we as a country 
are facing. And so I wanted to, in this moment, wish safe, um, <laughs> or, or say, say goodbye to Hugh Siegel, Senator Hugh Siegel, and to thank Jean Chrétien for a lovely night. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Thanks uh, to uh, the Oxford University Press, I've learned about one of these words in particular, which is the word of the year for 2023, and that word is riz, R-I-Z-Z. And fortunately, to help us navigate this word in particular is Maria Cristina Cuervo, Professor of Linguistics at the University of, of Toronto. Professor, thank you so much for being here. Um, let's talk about the word riz. What does it mean? Hello, Ben. Thank you for having me here. Um, well, the, uh, it's a silly negotiation what it means. Uh, supposedly, it comes from charisma. It's a clipping, so it's a shortening of the word. And I'm sorry, can you repeat? Uh, it's so a shortening of the word what? Oh, charisma. Uh, charisma. 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 Ah, that yeah. makes sense. Okay. Yes, exactly. So the thing is that it, it seems a little unusual, right? Because you are not keeping the first part of the word. And that happens uh, with many words that we shorten, like love and carbs and all sorts of like ad and photo, bike, right? These yeah. are all clippings. Interesting. And yeah. The thing with charisma is that the stress is on the second syllable. Right. So it's you cannot say car. Right. It would be charisma. So that's the part we keep when we shorten a word in English. We keep the 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 stress part. It's like with nicknames. Right. Like uh, your name is Benedict. Right. Yes. And so you shorten to Ben. Yes. If your name were Benedict. You would be Ned. <laughs> That's a good point. But, uh, Professor, I've got to ask, like, I, my kids know the word riz, and they know what the meaning is to them. But I bet you if you polled 100 kids, 113-year-olds, the vast majority would know what riz means. But I don't know that the vast majority would know what charisma means. So how would – where does the word come from? Because it, by that logic, it's not coming from the kids themselves. No, it would come from the creation of, uh, in this case, I, I believe, like older people, right? But we are all creating words. Uh, all the words we have come from other words. Like nobody coins or invents a word out of nothing. In general, there are modifications of the form and on the meaning. And sometimes when we shorten these words, uh, the meaning also changes a little. And when words circulate like so... Uh, virally, so widely and in, in such a short time, um, there's opportunities for people um, attributing different meanings, right? So risk could be exactly as charisma, but it ha can have also a connotation more that it's uh, about attracting a romantic or sexual partner, right? Mm. And um, and uh, I believe there were even debates on people who have used uh, uh, charisma raised as this attraction by talking, uh, and then there was unspoken raise, and some people were angry because they say it doesn't make sense because <laughs> raise is about attracting with language. 
Interesting. I'm speaking with Maria Cristina Cuervo, professor of linguistics at the University of Toronto, and we are discussing Oxford University Press's word of the year for 2023, Riz. Now, I had to ask my kids, professor, how one uses the word. I said, does one have Riz? Do you Riz down? Do you Riz up? Uh, how is it properly used? And according to my son, you would riz, you would, if I, for example, were a young person and single and I, and I saw a lovely lady in a bar, I would riz her up. Is that the appropriate use of that word? Yeah, I've heard about that. Okay. And that's a, a common thing to, to do, right? At first, the word be, uh, is like a noun. And then in English, we turn every noun into a verb, right? <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I, I've got. I've got to say, um, it's the the difference I'm finding with with words of the year now is like my kids would cringe and cower and run away if they heard me using Riz and all the words that they use with their friends. And I is that part of the evolution of language where it is. It is the dominion of a particular group for a certain amount of time before it eventually is allowed into the general vernacular for everyone? Yeah, I mean, words circulate, right? And, and there's this tension in uh, new words and particularly in younger generations, right? That it's between being like part of a secret language and something that is part of just of a young community, Right. With this opposing force of making it public. Right. And making it viral. And then everybody has a chance to to uh, wait on it. Right. And, and use it in different words and different ways. Right. But of course, I understand like my son would do the same. Right. They don't want <laughs> us to use the, their new things. And that's fine. Uh, I believe every generation does this. And um, uh, the thing is that. Um, Young people have more creative force and uh, more need maybe to to make language their own. Uh, Professor, I wish we could talk about this more. Unfortunately, we, we've got to go. Um, but I'm so glad to have talked to you because I I think I understand the evolution of a word like this a lot more now. So thank you so much uh, for laying it out for us. And I hope you have a great day. Okay, you too. Bye. Thank you. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. They say you're not supposed to make friends after you turn 40. Well, I'm 47 and I met this guy at a party and he was one of the nicest people I've met in a very, very long time. Nick Bateman joins us now. Is Nick with us? Good morning, Nick. I'm here. How are you, buddy? Great to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining. very good. Now, for um, for those of you who do not know, because uh, you can't see him, Nick Bateman uh, rose to fame, uh, and we're going to talk about his early days. But he rose to fame after um, <laughs> because of his success on on internet. He became one of the biggest male models on the planet. He is the best looking human being, not only have I ever met, but I've ever seen. And I'm so glad that we are doing this conversation on the radio because otherwise, you know, some days I could I would show up. It's like when I interviewed Sterling K. Sterling K. Brown. No matter how good I felt about myself, I, walking away from talking to that man made me feel bad about myself. But I'm so glad to talk to you. How are you today? Well, first off, uh, thank you for the nice compliment. Uh, you're hilarious. Uh, yeah, I, I'm doing fantastic. It's, uh, it's, it's a nice morning. It's still dark outside. Um, <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you? I, I'm doing great. I'm, I want to talk to you about, you know, you had so much success uh, in the modeling world, which you leveraged into acting and producing. Um, and But you came back to Canada after you had all the success. You could have lived anywhere in the world. Why did you come home uh, to Canada? 
Yeah, uh, I was born in Burlington, Ontario, and uh, I just grew up here. And it, it, it was such a nice feeling growing up in Canada, just feeling safe. And uh, I did live in L.A. for about eight years, and there's a lot of things I love about L.A. But the ultimate choice was where did I want to raise my kids? I have two kids now, as you know, and I just I made the decision. I'm like, I want to come back to Canada. My family's here. I wanted to be by my family. And when you have kids, you just want your kids to be around their grandparents and have that relationship. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't realize how much I missed it. I always thought in LA, I'm like, I'm never coming back to yeah. Canada, like boring old Canada. And I, I came back. I'm like, I'll be here for a year, see how I like it. Maybe I'll be bored. And I got to be honest, I, I, I love it. I missed it. It, uh, it It's it's good. I, I, my kids are happy here. My family's happy. I'm around my, my mom, and uh, I couldn't ask for anything more right now. Other than the, the cold weather, that's the only thing <laughs> I can complain about. <laughs> well, I'm talking with actor, model, producer, writer, entrepreneur, Nick Bateman. Uh, Nick, how many, how many followers do you have on social media? Um, combined, yeah. I would just over about 10 million. I've got about like 4.2 million on Facebook and about 6 million on Instagram. Um, and yeah, it kind of just yeah. went out of control back in 2015. <laughs> so, so, so the reason I ask is twofold. One, with, with that level of following, you could have been very content to use that influence that you have to um, promote other people's products for the rest of your life. And you could have made, I'm sure, a tidy sum doing that. Um, and yet yeah. you've chosen to dig into uh, other aspects of, of, of your career, writing and producing, uh, as well as yeah. starting your own businesses. So you could have been shilling for other people, but instead you want to build your own business. Um, talk to me about being an entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur in this day and age, and why you wanted to do your own thing when you could have very easily just taken a piece, taken a, a, a big chunk of, of, of money to do it for somebody else. Yeah, like I always feel like there's a point in someone's life where they need to take a chance and try something new. And I I was more than happy uh, and grateful working with brands like Bulgari and Calvin Klein and all these other massive brands. But I realized I'm like, you know, I can make my own products and give a go at that. And I started finding things that I wanted to change within what I used in a daily basis. And being a dad now, I realized, oh, a lot of the stuff I was using wasn't healthy for me. Uh, so like deodorant, for for instance, I was using deodorant my armpits and I sort of reading the labels and I'm like, this is full of chemicals. So I tried to switch and I didn't, I, I always thought that I wasn't a smelly person. And then I switched <laughs> from like the bad deodorant. I was like, oh my God, I stink. And it took me a good year to figure out how to make one that actually works. And I just started making these products that I used at home religiously, whether it was like a balm for my beard and my hair and my, like I used it for like a fragrance smell. Then I started using this deodorant. I'm like, whoa, this actually works. All this stuff works. And then my friends started stealing it. And then my family started using it. I'm like, wow, if everyone's just religiously using this, I should start making this. So that's what I did. About a year ago, I started making the balm, which is this fragrance balm. And then I started doing the deodorant. And, uh, yeah, the rest kind of started falling into place and I've had so much fun with these ads. I've been, I'm a huge fan of Ryan Reynolds and how he does his branding where the ads always poke fun, always have fun and always make it enjoyable to watch an ad. So my real goal is to kind of change the way people use their everyday products and have it be healthier for them. So that way they're not putting chemicals, but also integrate how I do producing and acting within 
the advertisement so people yeah. can actually have fun watching an ad, feel part of a brand, but also feel healthier. So, and so, so yeah, Nick, is it, is it, um, I guess uh, is the moral of the story that it, that there's more value, there's more satisfaction that you, that you get from doing it yourself, uh, even if it means it's going to be harder work and maybe the paycheck won't be there in the near and medium term, but because it's yours, because you have ownership over it, there is a deeper satisfaction yeah. that comes from it. A hundred percent. Yeah. The sky, like the sky's the limit with anyone who's an entrepreneur knows that. Yeah. The first couple of years is uh, not easy, yeah. but the satisfaction is definitely there when you can change someone's life, whether it's health purposes, whether it's, you know, how they do their daily routine. Um, and then whether it's just with advertising, having fun, making people smile. Um, it's just, it's fun that I get to integrate every part of my life into the brand. So, yeah. Nick, you've got two young boys. You yourself uh, benefited tremendously from leveraging social media. But as a dad, looking at what social media is today, what it's becoming, what are your thoughts on your kids at some point joining one or multiple platforms? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of parents who are in the social media world make social media accounts for their children. And uh, my wife and I decided not to for our sons. Um, we have a family channel, but we, they don't have their own personal channels. And we just felt like that's a decision that they can make on their own once they're old enough. Um, social media is a monster um, in good ways and bad ways, but it's, you know, it's consuming everyone's daily life at this point. And uh, it's definitely scary to see where it's possibly going to go in the future. But I think that, you know, with evolution and the way the world's going, it's inevitable at this point. So I would educate my children on, you know, the ins and outs of social media in the best way I can once they're ready. But yeah, I feel as a parent, I just want to keep them kind of away from it until they're ready. And then once they are ready, that's what they want to do. Uh, give them all the advice that I have to give them. Nick Bateman, we'll, we only have a few minutes left. I want to say, you know, as I was uh, getting ready for this conversation, uh, I knew that you did martial arts growing up, but I didn't know how seriously you took it or how successful you got. Tell our listeners about the dedication that you had at least early on in your life to martial arts. Yeah. So that's kind of where it started for me. Uh, I had ADHD as a kid. I'm sure all of us uh, young eighties, nineties, seventies babies all had that diagnosis at some point, but uh, I got kicked out of like six karate schools until I finally uh, got one that accepted me. But after persistence, uh, I started doing somewhat well. Uh, I got my black, I started when I was four years old, got my black belt around 14 years old. And then, was competing internationally by 14. And uh, I got my first world title at 17 years old and ended up getting four world titles total. Um, world titles, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, world titles, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of what people knew me for. I'm like the bow staff guy, but people don't know what a bow staff is, so they say stick, you're the stick guy. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. Anybody uh, who's watched the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles growing up knows exactly what a bow staff is. Yes, exactly. So that's actually why I started karate. I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle. And I, I told my mom that at four, and she brought me into a karate school. So, yeah, that, that was kind of what taught me my discipline uh, and, and the fact that I realized that, if, you know, I can do anything I want as long as uh, I repetitiously do it. And I don't give up because I was horrible. Like, I was not good at karate. I was not good at both that. I spent 
hours in my backyard, hitting myself in the head and dropping it and doing it again and doing it again. So it kind of taught me that if I can do that, then I can do anything. You know, we're, we've been talking with Nick Bateman and, and so far we've talked about all the success uh, that you've had and it's all well-deserved and you are as humble as you are successful. Um, but I asked you last night before we started, I was like, I, I want to talk about something embarrassing. We can't just, we can't talk to a man who looks like you, who has the success that you've got, who's got a great family uh, and, and, and just talk about all the wonderful things. I say, I got to talk about something embarrassing. And you told me that in your, there was a two year period where you were, you went through your B44 uh, phase. Now for people who don't know, B44 was a Canadian uh, boy band. Uh, that had the, the 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 boys. It was twin boys who had frosted tips, uh, and they sang a song about oh, what was the line? Uh, if you get down on me, I'll get down on you. And that yeah. was that was their big song. And so you, what you're telling me is these boys put out this song, and you identified. Did you identify with the lyrics, or did you identify with the look, or both? I, I think I identified with all of it. And to be honest, that, that song is still on my playlist today. And uh, I, lo- I love it. Yeah. I, I, I looked like a hedgehog. It was hilarious. Every single piece of my hair was spiked. And I don't know if you remember this brand. Cause it was called Ice Spiker by Joyco. Oh, boy. It would make your hair like a rock. And I literally, puka shells. I'm, I'm looking at the picture. Puka shell necklace oh. and... Hair that looks like a hedgehog. You're 100% right. So to see where you were then and to talk to you today, uh, it's it's been a heck of a journey. And as as uh, as somebody who uh, at one point was enticed to possibly move down to the United States, it's nice to see that you brought your your um, your entrepreneurial spirit, uh, your love of Canada, and your family back to Canada. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Nick Bateman, for joining us this morning on the show. And I hope to see you before Christmas, my friend. Thank you for having me, and I hope to see you too, brother. All the best. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I'm very happy to be joined by my first guest of the day, Anthony Fury, broadcaster and former mayoral candidate. Anthony, great to talk to you. I hope uh, hope we didn't get you up too, too early today. First guest, what an honor. Glad to be here, sir. <laughs> uh, Anthony, let's jump right in. Uh, I think a lot of people, if they if they were on online last night, if they were on social media, they saw... The university leaders uh, hauled before Congress, unable to unequivocally denounce calls for genocide against Jews. Let's take a listen. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. Now, that was Representative Elise Stefanik uh, going up against uh, the heads of um, MIT, Harvard. I believe Penn was there as well. Um, uh, Anthony, what do you think of – listen, we've seen students on these campuses uh, adopt positions that some of us find uh, offensive. How do you feel when the people charged with leading those institutions um, equivocate and hedge on matters as important as this one? Well, it definitely gives a green light for the much more fringy, wild, inflammatory stuff that students are saying to continue to be emboldened, to go further. Here in Canada, Ben, here in Toronto, we have seen uh, those rather bizarre public letters that people at faculties like the TMU, Ryerson Law School students putting forward a statement talking about 
contextualizing October 7th and some thinly veiled language almost celebrating it. And again, not just talking about, okay, support for uh, getting supplies for Palestinian children, but no, talking about October 7th attacks and kind of giving it the thumbs up, that sort of stuff. And to see it happen from students, for one, is a little shocking. And then to see leadership kind of be okay with it, we got a problem here. Well, it's also very rich that uh, that the, 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 this leadership, these thought leaders, helped create a world where intent was irrelevant on a number of matters. It didn't matter if you meant to cause offense. It didn't matter if you uh, you misunderstood a situation or the information uh, about the world changing was uh, was new to you and you were old fashioned or you were religious. It doesn't matter what intent was. It was how information was received. And now on this matter, it's all about context. It's all about what the person meant to say. Oh, no, they're not chanting from the river to the sea because they want to wipe Jews out. No, no, that's a call. That's a call for liberation. And I find it very rich that they're trying to have it both ways. And what's incredible, Ben, is we have uh, Jordan Peterson being banned from campuses, having the professorship removed, all really stemming back to saying, well, I don't really want to call people uh, these sort of non-binary pronouns like Zer and they, I'm not going to do that which I think the majority of people would maybe agree with, and that's enough to get someone banished. The sorts of things that can get you uh, punished at a university are much more lower threshold than this. So we're definitely seeing beyond a double standard here. Well, okay, let's move on to uh, (laughs) – we're going to move on to this this Catherine Tate debacle, the president of the CBC who was interviewed on her own network – uh, in uh, just days after announcing that o- almost a thousand people, over 800 people at the network were going to lose their jobs, she was asked by Adrian Arsenault, um, can we at least agree uh, that bonuses might be a bad idea? Let's take a listen. I'm going to presume no bonuses this year. I mean, the Canadian Taxpayer Federation said a Freedom of Information request showed 16 million were paid in bonuses in 2022. Can we establish that that is not happening this year? It's too early to say where we are for this year. We'll be looking at that like we do all our line items in the coming months. So there's a, there's a chance bonuses could still happen at a time when jobs are being cut? I, again, I, I'm not going to comment on something that hasn't been discussed at this point. So, Anthony, I posted, uh, I posted my reaction to that, and my reaction to that was, here's what the, the leadership of the Conservative Party is thinking to themselves when they hear this clip. Excellent. Excellent. This is playing right into their hands, isn't it? <laughs> you know what? You've got to think that the, the sort of easiest ride that you're going to get is in a segment on your own television network. Apparently not. And one thing that's been remarkable about Catherine Tate over the years, she's worked in the media landscape her whole career. She's a pretty terrible communicator, which I find rather interesting given what she does and and this has come across pretty much every time she talks about cbc look there's clearly a a public confidence crisis in this public broadcaster you've got pierre polyev saying we got to really curtail their budget or just get rid of the whole thing and the public is thinking in that headspace she did not do a good job defending that institution maybe what she's getting at ben there with the bonuses is, is that there are some employees sticking around who they have HR contracts and say they have their KPIs, so maybe they'll still get, okay, whatever, fine. She doesn't need to um and over these details. She should maybe say, look, one thing I can tell you, Adrian, is I will not be taking a bonus this year yeah. because if I'm laying off hundreds of people, 
I'm certainly not going to award myself during these tough times. And people go, oh, wow, that's that's leadership. And it's kind of rallying the troops. Yeah. I mean, Adrian was just doing her job, but that still also looked like, you know, a student in the classroom reading the principal, the riot act. Well, so I mean, yeah, a, 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 Adrian did a great job, but it, it was it was she was she was literally serving up what the right answer was supposed to be. And right. and and in your reaction, what, what you suggested was even better than what I suggested earlier on uh, in the morning. That's exactly what she should have said. You're absolutely right. And she she didn't do herself any favors with that. Uh, and, and I likened it to to what I remember the financial crisis in the United States and the bankers gave themselves bonuses after receiving billions of dollars from the um, from the federal government. Now, in a different way and on a different scale, uh, it, it makes me feel the same thing, that these uh, that the, the people running the CBC are in it for themselves as opposed to the the viewer or the employees. And, uh, yeah, you're right. Failure to communicate. And it's a failure of leadership. Uh, before we leave really quick, I want to ask you about your thoughts on this story about what's happening to Young Street. Ed Keenan wrote in the, the Star that uh, the, the, the neighborhood has just become devoid of any of its idiosyncratic coolness that it used to have. But isn't that part of a growing, breathing, living city that neighborhoods change? Yeah, absolutely. Ed is turning into an old man yelling at clouds. (laughs) Second Simpsons reference in the segment. Well done. You got it. And uh, look, one of my favorite lines from uh, from Canadian music is uh, drove downtown in the rain 930 on a Tuesday night just to check out the late night record store because, you know, I've done that. I've lived that. I used to browse all the record stores, the bookstores, they close so early these days. And Ben, I think it's because of the COVID stuff. Like they all close at like 7 p.m. You can't do that anymore. But then who am I kidding myself? I'm like, you know, I'm at home with the kids now. I don't go out (laughs) anymore. So it's a different landscape. You know, I know friends, older friends who complain about how New York doesn't have the grit and quality it had in the 80s and 90s and stuff. Okay, but you're also not getting stabbed. Uh, (laughs) Anthony, Anthony, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. I'd love to do this again sometime. All right, take care, my friend. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. A couple of days ago, or yesterday actually, I was um, I was going through LinkedIn and I was going through Twitter and I was going through Instagram and I kept seeing the same message, the same story coming through that Jake Gold and the Tragically Hip uh, were being honored with the 2023 War Child Founders Award. And I thought, what a great opportunity for me to reconnect uh, with one of my great friends from Canadian Idol days, uh, where he served as a judge and I served as a host. He served as the best dressed judge, I might add. Jake Gold joins us this morning. Jake, uh, great to talk to you again, and congratulations on this award. Well, thank you, Ben, but I beg to differ with you on the best dressed. I think you may have been the best Oh, dressed. no, I, I qualified you're the best dressed judge. <laughs> Oh, okay. And you were the you were the best dressed host. I absolutely. I was the best dressed host. I was the smartest host. Uh, all, all those things, uh, Jake. Uh, honestly, it's really great to hear your voice again, uh, and it's really great to be able to uh, to talk to you about your relationship with the hip. Um, I, I was on the uh, Canadian Music Week website looking for the best uh, bio for you, and there's just it, it's written in such an interesting way. It says in 1981, Gold started his artist management company, the Management Trust through which he is best known for his role in establishing and transforming the tragically hip into a national icon. Then the next line is, in 2020, Gold reunited with the band to direct their legacy in Canadian music history. So if you could, Jake, can we can we talk a little bit about your journey with the hip? Because you were with them for a while, you separated, you came back, and it's, it's, a, it's a lovely 
it's a lovely story when you reunited with them and then to share this award from Warchild. Well, I, I, uh, myself and my partner, Alan Gregg, my, my, my partner then discovered the band and you know, Alan, well, yes. uh, Bill, um, we, um, we discovered the band in 86 and we managed them till, well, I managed them till about 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan begged off in 94, uh, but, but we did remain partners for quite a long time. And then, um, we went our separate ways, and then actually that's right after that, within two weeks of me separating from the band is when uh, I got the call to, you know, do Canadian Idol. Um, and then in 2020, uh, the band uh, was going through some things, and they thought they needed uh, a little, you know, injection of energy. I think they were uh, uh, still mourning, obviously, the loss yeah. of Gord, and uh and things weren't really happening, and it was kind of bugging me because I had, you know, invested a, a, a life's work into into what they had done. And uh, we got back together, and I said, "Look, you know, we should we should uh, make this happen." And they agreed. And since then, we've been doing all kinds of fun stuff, releasing uh, unreleased music and box sets and live albums, and um, and now we're in the midst of making a four part. Uh, doc series for Amazon Prime that's going to come out in the fall of 2024. That that's a, a great, Jake. Real. I mean, th- 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 this is great stuff. It, it really does. If if you've had a hand in all of this new music and, and all of this this wave and wave and wave of of new ways that we can appreciate this band that means so much to so many people, then I've got to congratulate you myself. I'd shake your hand. I'd pat you on the back. Um, what does it mean for you to receive this award from Warchild alongside the Hip? Well, it's the first time we've ever gotten something together. Um, it's really great because they're an amazing organization. I mean, uh, I don't know if people really understand what they do, but Samantha Nutt, who heads up this organization, approached uh, me in um, the late spring of 2000 about wanting to do a, a concert to help raise some money and raise awareness and in Winnipeg because they were hosting a um, a children affected by war conference, which had people from all over the world, UN, Kofi Annan, like really major international people coming to Winnipeg. And I said, yeah, we could do that. You know, she met with the band and we all agreed to do it, but you know, we wanted to do something different and they bought into my idea. And so I produced the concert with, you know, some of her staff and the band performed and Chantal Kreviazek performed and Maestro Fresh West performed and uh, an artist from Africa named Angelique Kidjo performed. And we ended up raising somewhere between three hundred and fifty and four hundred thousand dollars and it was a free concert. Wow. And there was and there was eighty thousand people there. And up until that point it was the largest charity concert ever in Canada. Um you know, subsequently eclipsed by SARS Fest in 2003. Yeah. Um, but up until that point, it was the biggest one ever. And um, it really put them on the map. And and then the next year, we did a show right after 9-11 called Music Without Borders. And we raised another $250,000 for them. So they've meant um, a lot to you. They've meant a lot to you. you, you I mean, well, some, pe- some people can phone this stuff in. Some people can phone it in, but it doesn't sound like you did that. 
Well, you know, the band made a decision. Uh, we sat down in the early 90s and, and made a decision that if we were going to uh, put our efforts into philanthropic ideas, that it needed to have a focus. Right. And our focus, as they were starting to have children, was anything to do with children. And these guys were, were you know, uh, helping children and, and women in a global scale. And we thought, what a great way to affect change in a global scale. And it's still ongoing. I mean, the, there's stuff going on around the world right now in Yemen and Sudan and Afghanistan that isn't maybe headline news, but it's, you know, it's really dire. Yeah. And there's never been a humanitarian crisis like this before. And these guys are in the front lines. Like, they literally go in there and they set up hospitals and they find shelter. And, you know, Sam Nutt, she, she's flying in military helicopters with hard hats or in yeah. the back of trucks. And, like, they're actually doing the work. So, you know, we can say, you know, we're honored to receive the award, but these people are actually going in there and doing the work. Well, so, I'm glad, Jake, us, that I'm, I'm really know. glad that you're getting the award and that we're able to talk today about bringing uh, attention to that hard work that they're doing. Um, I only have I got less than a minute left, but I so I'm going to put the question to you that I get all the time. And I always say no, but I want to know what your answer is. Would you ever do Canadian Idol again? Um. Under certain circumstances, I may, I, although I'm, you know, I don't know if, if you remember when I did it, it was right after I stopped working with the hip. Now I'm back working with them. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's binary. If you're with the hip, you can't be doing <laughs> idle and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. How about this, Ben? If we all got back together again, including you, then I would consider it. You know what? I would I would consider that as well. Uh, and and it, to, to, to be honest, it has been so nice hearing your voice again, my friend. I have missed you. I hope to, I get to see you in person really soon. And congratulations yeah. on this great honor. Thank you. And donate to War Child. War uh, Child can use your donation. Hey, we're, so. we're, we're going we're gonna to leave it there. That's a great way to end it. Thank you, Jake. Have a happy holiday season.